Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Lost in Place. Today I am here with Natalia Putowska. Yeah, hi. You can tell me if I mispronounce your name. No, no, that's that's completely fine, Natalia Putowska. You're good for a foreigner. <laughs> I did get it wrong. I don't have the right accent for it. No, but you know, you, you, you pronounce it pretty well. You didn't say like Plutowska. So in Polish, do they pronounce the W's kind of like the Germans do as a V? Yeah, it's like V, exactly. So it's like Plutowska. Plutowska. All right. It's a hard language. <laughs> I, I think I would need another couple cups of coffee before I get that right. Oh, definitely. And some wine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know if wine would help. <laughs> it would probably make things much worse for everybody. No, no. It's always better to speak foreign language when you're a little bit tipsy because you feel more confident. And you use the language more than you do sober. I can attest to that. When when I'm a little tipsy, I'm convinced I can speak French. Oh, I thought you said Greek, but you say Greek <laughs> without any alcohol. All the Greek just finishes. No more, no more Greek when I've had something to drink. <laughs> I can barely speak Greek sober. But French, I'm convinced I can speak French when I've been there. Oh, really? Absolutely. That's funny. I want to... Did you ever learn French? Uh, a little. Okay. A little. I mean, we lived in school, and as you do, and my mom spoke French fluently. And oh, really? I think I can remember how to ask to go to the library, and I can count, and that's about, yeah, that, that's about the extent of my knowledge. Oh, okay. Things. Who goes to a library anymore? Hmm. How's your mom, by the way? Where is she? In Colorado? She's in Colorado. She is really good. I, I've set her up on Zoom as well, like we're using now, and she teaches her yoga classes online. Yeah, I saw, I saw that. That's cool. It's a shame people can't learn how to ride online. Can you imagine setting up a motorbike class <laughs> Yeah, that would be a thing. Everybody would crash trying to look at their screens. Yeah, but hey, I'm so happy. Like right now here, we at least can go out and ride this motorcycle. Tim brought his motorcycle here and then we just riding pretty much every day or every second day around. And so many beautiful places like the mountains and the nature it's so nice you're lucky that this is where you got stuck in quarantine yeah because you're in washington now right yeah are you, are you in seattle at the moment where are you no we are like two and a half hours from seattle okay yeah we're in this airbnb it's like pretty much nothing is here no nothing around and we stay in this uh, we have like one bedroom apartment it's above the garage and the owners they live in the just house next to it and they are really cool and but you guys have the bike with you so you can go off and ride during yeah so we had a car before and then like two weeks ago we brought the bike too and then uh we just yesterday we went to return the car because we didn't really need since we had the bike here now and uh now we just have a bike but like you know to go to the shop for like groceries like, to the supermarket it's like 25 minutes Right. So yeah. around here is not much. Yeah, here the restrictions that they've put in is that if you can order your groceries online, mm -hmm. that's what you have to do. You can't go to the store for them. Oh, you cannot go? No. Well, really? Well, I still go anyway because a lot of the things that I can get in the grocery store, I can't find online. Oh. But technically, because I can order them, I'm not supposed to leave. Oh, really? Oh, wow. So even getting on my bike to do the short trip for that is, is off limits. Wow. It's 
making me crazy. I've been on my bike once in the last month, mm-hmm. and that was to go and pick up orthotics for my shoes. Oh, shit. My bike is covered in so much dust right now, it makes me want to cry. No, but that must suck. I can imagine, like, also my friends in Poland, they, everybody's just closed. They cannot go to forests. The national forests are closed. Here, too. We can't go to the mountains to take the dogs. We can't go to the beach. Even the local park is closed. Yeah that sucks no like here it's we don't see any really people around at all only if you go like to, to, to the supermarket and it's like you go to the supermarket but there's nobody in there nothing like crazy there's so many people there but it's also there are no limitations that for example only 10 people can be at once there because that's in poland you have some limitations and then um it's only from 10 o'clock to 12 in the morning it's only for 60 plus people which is good because yeah but i don't see that here otherwise like the rest some restaurants are also still giving food away i mean not to give you away. Uh, you can order and then just take away. Can't go and sit at the restaurant, but they're open for delivery. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, no, here I tried to go to the post office the other day to send a scarf, and only two people were allowed in the post office at a time. So oh, yeah. the line to the post office was two blocks. Everybody was standing two meters apart from each other. I was two hours to get in, only to be told once I was in that I couldn't send my package. No way. Seriously. Because the borders to the United States were closed, even for mail. Wow, really? So I waited hours in the sun to be told no. So you wanted to send something to the United States and it wasn't possible? Wow. So is that because you're in the States on a visa right now, right? Yeah, but I have six months visa, so... Oh, okay. So, I mean, I, I don't think this is going to last for six months with the borders as closed as they are, but do you think that if it does last six months that you'll have any issues with your visa? So I have six months visa, but still, like, if any worst case scenario, I can extend it for another six months. Oh, perfect. Um, Yeah, but... I don't think there would be a situation like that. I know that there is this uh, government program that is called in English like flight to home. That is a Polish airlines flying to some of the places in the world. And there are people like Polish people stuck in one country and signing on the list uh, that they want to go back home. And they're pretty cheap flights. I mean, they are not really cheap, actually, but they're supposed to be cheaper. And somehow they should pay you back some part of the money that you pay for that. And then when they organize this flight, then you get your ticket and you just go back home. Okay, well, at least they're giving options for people to return back. Yeah, it's not everywhere in the world, but there are some, you know, places like New York or, I don't know, there was in Mexico, I think Colombia wasn't there. Like, there was a few other places where there's many people going there to travel and to visit the places and they just get stuck there. And then, so they want to go back home. So that's the way to do it. In Greece at the moment, I think, and I, I'm, I'm not 100% certain on this, but I think what they've said is that even for Greeks who want to come back, unless it's an emergency, mm-hmm. they can't return oh, really? at the moment. They've wait. Yeah, Greece has been very strict with how fast they've closed the borders and set quarantines in place to try and yeah. keep it. No, like in Poland, you have to go under the quarantine for two weeks, but that is pretty much, that's all. And yeah, it's really like my friends were doing also this travel around the world and they got stuck in Colombia and they said they were supposed to travel for another two months, something like that. And every hotel they booked on booking.com, they refused to take them because, uh, yes, because they're foreigners, so they spread the disease. 
and like people in the street be so aggressive and like they felt like it's not safe for yeah so they just wanted to get out as soon as possible and they found the flight after like 30 something hours on the airport they just found some flight to cancun to mexico and from there there was this uh, flight to home by this polish airlines Right. So at least they didn't have to worry about trying to get the bike back with them as well. Yeah, but then like it's many people stuck like that. You remember Matt that I met his I met his bike. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Matt Matt got to Cape Town for like five days after me, and then my friend they also got also like six days after me to Cape Town because they were supposed to travel around more around South Africa, but they didn't because the weather was very bad. It was rainy. And like they said, like it doesn't make sense to stay longer there because they cannot see anything. So they just rushed and they came to Cape Town too. And when they came on Wednesday and then we met all of us, like, my friends Arthur and Aga and Matt we went to eat and drink wine and then so he said that he was supposed to go to South America after that and he was planning first like drive to up to Johannesburg and probably from Johannesburg flight his bike to Buenos Aires and that was Wednesday and then Thursday just I woke up in the morning I just see like messages from Tim he's saying to me like oh they are sealing the United States like they're they just closing the borders so there would be no option like how can I fly there and at that moment I still didn't have any tickets to anywhere because I was just planning to go this Thursday morning and I was planning probably on Saturday on Sunday fly back home to apply for my new passport because this passport I have like it doesn't have enough of space for my farther travel traveling travel for my farther travels <laughs> and then so I was going to go to Poland for one week and then after one week fly here or like if Tim had already his visas then he would fly back to Europe but then it was like whoa this all this happening right now it's hard to predict yes and then so I just say okay like well it seems that I have to fly as soon as possible and there were since uh, the United States closed the borders for flights from Europe and I had this flight I found the flight for the same day like at 6 p.m with Emirates so from Cape Town Dubai and then Dubai Seattle it was the longest flight ever where is your bike now Oh, and my bike, yeah, that's another story, is that, uh, yeah, the plan was to ship the bike to Europe. And then once I, I get my passport and my visas, then we can start heading east. So yeah, that was the plan. And then I left my bike with this guy who organized container, container shipping to Netherlands for the fair price, which was 800 euros. Last year, I shipped my bike. It was, I paid total, like, Last year, I remember you paid 800 euros just to ship your bike to Egypt. Yeah, I know. But that is a different story. But uh, when I shipped from uh, South Africa to London, I paid first $1,000 for the shipping and then additional 550 pounds for some fixing prices. I don't know what was it, but it was so, it's total like $1,700, let's say. And here I paid a tip. $900. So it's really good actually in comparison if you're getting yeah. from, from South Africa all the way up to the Netherlands. It's not bad. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely, yeah, that was a good price. It's like a shared container with other bikes. And so my friend's uh, bike also go with the same container. And they told me that, uh, you know, if the bikes arrive, then Arthur, he said that he would take like a, this mini van, something like that minibus whatever a vehicle that he will be able to carry both bikes on and take them to poland but then we didn't know that the borders will be actually closed 
I mean, I thought like the moment I was leaving, I left my bike there and I just thought to myself, like, I don't even know if it's a good idea to ship this bike right now because I don't know, I don't know when I will be back in Europe. That's the first thing. Second, I don't know if it's going to be possible for them to cross the border and go and get the bike and bring it back to Poland. But yeah, it's on the way and actually it's arriving in three days. Oh, wow. So they have actually shipped it in the end. Yeah, they did ship. And then, so it's supposed to be in Netherlands on the 19th. And can your friend get back there to actually pick up the bike? Yeah, so right now we're trying to figure out that out to how we would do this because um as far as i know it's not possible to cross the borders the, gr- the borders are closed so um and my friend just mm-hmm. oh, sorry if they can't get back there will the shipping company at least hold on to your bikes can they stay there oh uh, no so if the if it stays in the port it's very expensive to pay every day it's like i think they said at first like 100 euros or something like that but that guy organized like organized like he thought that there's the option of a storage that if we won't be able to collect the bikes it's going to be possible to store them for like 60 euros weekly yeah which is not cheap but it's not 100 euros a daily so 100 euros a day is extortion so that's that is an option and then also i don't know we see i will see how it goes my friend is updating me right now like that i'm trying to find a solution if not, then maybe there will be some, someone in Netherlands that could collect the bike for me. But yeah, that is, we will organize that in, in the coming days. I hope you figure it out. I think that would be a lot of stress right now if I was in that situation. It's stressful also because I don't know when I will be back there and when we can actually start traveling. And, uh, and if it's even going to be the right time of year if you can start traveling. Yes, that's the point. And then like, you know, my motorcycle is South African, so I have to transport it back to South Africa eventually if I want to sell it, into whatever. I, I will have to transport it back because I don't even know if it's possible to try to register it in another country and especially in Europe. Are, are you going to need another carnet de passage if you want to do the journey east? That's also another story where, um, so my carnet de passage expired on the 5th of March of this year. And then the guy that was shipping my bike, he told me that I need to have a carnet in order to ship the bike from South Africa to Europe. And I said that at this moment, I'm not sure if I will have it. And basically the thing is that he talked to someone from the port and then he said, okay, we will ship the bike on your old carnet, expired carnet. But the moment the bike arrives in the Netherlands, you have to have the new carnet for the bike to be able to collect it. So I said, yeah, okay, that's fine. And the moment he shipped the bike, he was supposed to send my carnet to the agency that is responsible for the deposit that I paid. Just send the carnet to them and then I can get my money back within 10 days. But there was some delays with the shipping and finally when they shipped the bike, they closed the country. Like all the institutions, everything stopped working in South Africa. So the carnet, it's still not sent to them, which means that my money is still blocked. Like, so I cannot get this money and apply for a new carnet. But the other thing is also, they told me that they have to have carnet to collect the bike, but... Actually, it's Europe, and Europe doesn't require carnet for any vehicle from any part of the world. So I told them that, listen, I shipped the same bike last year to London, and nobody 
ask me for carnet because that is that is true i didn't have carnet at time i only applied for carnet three months later when i got the bike and when i already had the bike in europe then i applied for carnet because i understood that i would need that to go for egypt but technically europe doesn't require that so I don't understand what's the point right now, why they tell me that I need that. And they tell me like, yeah, uh, it's just I never sent any vehicle without the carnet, so I don't know how does that work. So right now, actually, I just sent them all my documents, uh, my documents copies yesterday, and they're trying to figure it out how they can get it out of the port without carnet. But uh, I know it's not necessary. I know it's nobody requires that. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. And also another thing with the carnet is that uh, once I apply for carnet right now, but it's only going to be valid for one year. And I need the carnet. Right. Yeah. And I need the carnet kind of for certain countries in Asia, not in Europe. And I don't know how long I will be sitting in Europe with a bike. So it's... Um, right. And since you don't know how long you're yeah. going to be stranded in the States, there's no point in tying up your money in a carnet that you'll have to apply for all over again before you start the next chapter of your trip. Yes, exactly. And it's just, you know, it's just money block because, you know, I, I will get the refund. I mean, they will return me the money, but it's just, it's... It's still a fuckload of money for them to be Yes, exactly. So it's, uh, it's just, I don't see, yeah, there's, there are no cents in that for me. So yeah, but this is actually happening right now. So I will probably know more tomorrow and then the day after tomorrow and see what will happen with that. For those who don't know, how long you just finished a trip mm -hmm. and you went all the way from Poland down to South Africa. That's correct. So there are a lot of questions to do with this. How did you decide you wanted to take a trip from Poland to South Africa? That's a hard to describe story, actually, because, um, yeah, okay. So I bought my motorcycle in South Africa where I spent a few months of a year. And then like in summertime, I was in Poland for like three, four months also. So when I was buying actually this motor, my first motorcycle, I couldn't decide where, where should I buy it in South Africa or in Poland. And then I didn't have anybody to really ride around with in any of those places. But I thought like in South Africa, like there is more time of the year that you can ride, like you can ride pretty much all year round. And then also the prices of the motorcycles, the new motorcycles are very different than they are in Europe and in Poland, especially for the new bike that you buy from um, the dealership. It's like 30% cheaper than it is in Europe. Which is surprising because the bikes are actually yeah. made in Europe because you're around on the 1200 GS rally. So those are made in Germany, why would they be cheaper on a different continent? Yeah, I have no idea, honestly, but it sounded like a good idea to buy it there. So that was like important factor. So I did that. Yeah, of course. But that was like, okay, I was there for one month, six weeks. I enjoyed my bike and then, okay, I'm going back to Poland and I don't have anything to ride there. And you know, when you start to ride the motorcycle, you just wanted to ride all the time. All the time. You just want to live on your bike. Yeah, exactly. And when you go to Europe, and it's summertime and you see people on the bikes it's super nice weather and you have plenty of options to go on a motorcycle to visit different countries that they are just next to each other it's just sad that they cannot do that so once i rented the same bike because first my first bike was um the bmw f700 gs so that was the one i bought in south africa and then i went to poland i thought okay i will rent the bike so i 
rent the same bike for one month, the same bike that I, exactly the same colors, everything that I had in South Africa. And then my brother also started to ride that time. So I went with him and two other people for a trip to Kors, to the French island. And that was pretty cool. And I thought, yeah, I want to just visit more of Europe on the bike. And then I returned the bike. And then I was thinking, I just like, I looked at the map and I went there, just thought like, maybe I would just ride this bike up to Poland. And it was just, of course, just a stupid thought that I would never think I would be able to do that. But that time I was traveling a lot with my best friend. And I told her like, hey, let's just ride the bike through Africa how about that so because initial idea was like I just wanted to have a bike here and there and I couldn't afford to have two of course and to fly every time and pay like this 800 euro one way it doesn't make sense so yeah and then she said like yeah okay we can do that uh, but then first, because she, she was not very much into motorcycles she doesn't like this type of things so I had to convince her a little bit and we said okay let's so let's do this first um like a test trip on the bike and we decided to go uh, from cape town to vic falls in zimbabwe so we just yeah we parked my bike and then we just do this like two weeks trip uh from cape town to botswana we visited botswana and we went to vic falls and then come back to cape town and that was like over five thousand kilometers and uh, it was super fun. And she said, like, yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. And you did that with her on the back of the bike, right? Yeah. And that, was, and that was on my 700. I don't like to have anybody on my bike at all. Just the extra weight. It just makes it really, oh, really? hard to manage. Um, and there are there roads going from South Africa to Zimbabwe? Yeah, no, but there was no, yeah, it was like it, the road is, was pretty much a straight highway. No problems at all. In Botswana, there were some sections with the big potholes and there was, you were just like doing the slalom around. But otherwise, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a normal road. No issues at all. Yeah, I have her in the back and I wasn't really that experienced at that time because that time I only rode, I started riding like a year and a half before. And as I said, I only rode when I was in pretty much when I was in South Africa. See, that that's, that's really impressive because you hadn't been riding for that long and you decided to get that massive bike, which you look tiny on, by the way. Yeah, but it was, that was still 700. That was still the 700. But still, you didn't have the 700 for that long before you upgraded then to the 1200. Yeah, so, but that was actually the, after that trip because, so we went for that trip and everything was fine and like no issues at all, super cool. And then when we got back, my friend flew back to Poland and then I stay for a little bit longer and there was this uh, BMW event called GS Trophy in South Africa and some of my friends went there and we come and join and I went there and that was my first time that I actually went on my bike uh, on some like really like difficult off-road trails which were super new for me because I never tried any off-road before that and I had this road tires and it was a very challenging thing to do for, for me to ride this bike in this like new conditions, which were difficult for me and um, like very unknown. So I did on the 700 and one of my friends the next day, we did this trade. And then the next day he told me like, you know what, just try the 1200. Like just 
jump on my bike and try the 700, uh, the 1200, and you will see the difference. And I said, okay, why not? And I tried his bike, and then we went somewhere, and there was this 500 meters section of soft sand. And we, there was, I think, six of us, and we just stopped before this section. And the guys tell me, okay, do you want to try this? Do you want to go through the sand? And I was on this 1200 for the first time of my life. And then they did just trying to convince me, like, you can do this, you can do this. And I, I was scared. I really didn't want to do that. But it was the moment when I just look at all those five guys around me and I thought to myself, okay, if not now, then when? Like, you know, if I just don't do it and fall, whatever, it doesn't matter. They're, they are here, like they will help me, They, you know. And yeah, and I just sit on the bike and I just did that. And I wrote the sound and it was, it felt good. So since then, like on that day, I just keep on riding that 1200 till the end of the day. I refuse to give it back to that friend of mine. And after that, I said, yeah, okay, I'm upgrading to the 1200. And that was also because I thought it's more comfortable to be two people on it. And it was, the decision was made because of the trip that was waiting for us that we were planning to go to Africa. So I was just, uh, and I left South Africa and then I was just away and I said to some friends that they were working on dealership that if there is any bike in a good price, then I would be happy to get it. And then after a few months, they told me like there is this uh, rally uh, that was used by one of the employees of the dealership. It was with a lower suspension. So I said, okay, cool. Like I asked another friend to just make a video and look at the bike and I said, okay, I will just get it. And I wasn't even in the country then i came back i think like uh, six weeks later and yeah i trade and i just gave them my bike and i got this almost new uh, gs 500 <laughs> beautiful bike you got really lucky with that. I remember when we had the conversation the first time I met you and the circumstances of how fast you got it and the price you got it for and that it was all... Yeah, and like the best thing it was that this was really the, actually the bike just for me because it was in with the lower suspension because like the normal suspension, it's a little bit too high for me. This one is still high, but at least I feel more comfortable on it. You have incredible control over this bike. Riding with you your skill level is amazing and I can only imagine how much it has improved because you were only at the beginning of your trip still you hadn't even started the hard stuff yeah yet. but you know like I, I you know it happens I drop the bike sometimes and I usually like drop it when in some stupid situations like on the parking lot because suddenly like it, when it's loaded it's so much it's just so heavy that sometimes I just move my body in the wrong way when I'm just standing on the parking lot and I feel like oh my god oh my god I'm losing the control and then it's boom it's just on the yeah on the ground and that happens you know how many times my bike like that I've looked over my shoulder to see something and that's it the bike is gone. <laughs> yeah but right now actually so team has the adventure one and it's like super high compared to mine and like super big but he let me drive it and actually like I'm becoming used to this bike that today even I went by myself to the shop and yeah and I came back like but really like really barely barely touched the ground <laughs> yeah 
Hold on. We're, we're getting off topic here. You had the bike in South Africa and you had originally decided you were going to go up to Poland. How come you decided to send the bike first to Poland and ride the opposite direction? How did that change? Um, so that was, um, that was planned that way because of the time of the year. Like it was the, so I was planning this trip with my friend and it was basically the most convenient way to do that. It was to start the trip from September. So we would be usually in Poland during the summertime. So, okay, prepare ourselves, ship the bike and then start riding down. Versus if we did it the opposite way, it would be, we would have to fly down to South Africa and then ride it from September, October up, which would mean that we would come to Europe uh, in winter time. Okay, so that's how that happens. I can understand that the weather plays a huge factor in it and it works better than... So you weren't supposed to do this trip by yourself. You were supposed to do this with friends. Yes, correct. And how did you end up doing this trip by yourself? So my friend, like, it, it was just, she couldn't do this anymore. So she had some situations that uh, she had to resign. And then when that happened, the, my bike was in, already on the way to London. And it was upsetting situation, uh, but I, I wasn't sure, like, how will I do this by myself? Um, did you think about canceling the trip? Uh, no, not really. No, I never actually thought of canceling the trip because the bike was already on the way. And I thought, okay, I'm paying so much money to get this bike here. I'm not, what am I going to do right now? Like, I'm not going to send it back. There's, there was no no way to do that. So I knew that I would do it by myself. But then, like, I started to talk to some people that do the same thing. And there are these forums in the internet. You can find information. And I just understand that it's not a big deal. You can just go by yourself and be fine. But at the same time, uh, there's this other couple that appeared that were friends of a friend and when they heard about our story which was still supposed to happen me and my friend they just called me and said like Natalia I want to we want to join you like can we come with you and at the beginning for me was like I'm so used to traveling just with my friends two of us that I thought like I don't really want anybody to join us but then like when my friend had to cancer and I was alone and I thought actually I want them to come with me but I never took them seriously honestly I thought that it's you you always hear some Someone telling you that oh I want to join you I want to do this also and then at the end they just cancelled they cannot do that because of the some reasons and I know like it wasn't two weeks vacation somewhere it was like proper planned trip for many months and the countries that are not not that popular for the tourists so and on the bike and they were also not that experienced with the biking because Arthur only had some other bike like a street bike I believe he he didn't have a GS and he told me like listen I we want to come but I'm not, I still not sure how is it going to work um but we will try to find for the same bike as you have and um we'll see how it goes so like is this the same red gs at the port where i went to drop off your tires yeah yes that's correct um so yeah so that time um i i I preferred to prepare myself to for this situation when i'm actually alone because i didn't know if they will make it so i started to think that and understand that i will be going along um so after some time they told me like you know okay whatever we're doing this with coming we're coming with you and then i said to them like i had an honest conversation with them that you know like last two weeks i've been thinking i've been preparing myself to be alone on the road and i thought like it's going to be a great lesson for me um to learn about myself and just be with myself so i told them let's do this this way that uh, uh we can start separately and then we can join somewhere in Egypt or somewhere there 
And they were totally fine with that. So I started my trip by myself. They started day trip two weeks after me. So uh, we ended up to meeting each other on the last day of our stay in Egypt. No, actually, sorry, they shipped it back to Alexandria and I went to see them in Alexandria to get my tires and I had other plans to go to travel somewhere else. And then they had other plans. And then three weeks later, we again met at very south of um, Egypt, which was in Luxor. And then like since then, we started to travel together. Yeah. Now... How, how many countries have you done in total on this trip? You know, like, honestly, I haven't gone. I don't know, maybe 15? That's including Europe? Mm, right. <laughs> Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia, Kenya, Tanzania, Malawi, Mozambique, South Africa. Eight in Africa. And then before Africa was, okay, Poland. I just, yeah, drove through Slovakia. And then Hungary, Bosnia, Montenegro, Albania, Greece. So that's what now. So that's 15. So that's seven countries in Europe and eight on the African continent. Yeah. Okay. So actually, yeah, that's 15. Wow. So 15 countries and that took you five months in total. That was, yeah, almost six months. Yeah, like five and a five, five and a half. Now, out of all of those places, do you have a favorite? Well, like, I'm not saying that because of you, but, but I think it's the Greece. Yeah, I love Greece. It's because of that bakery by my house and because I cooked for you every day, isn't it? Yes, definitely. No, like, um, I really love everything. About I was just sitting right now and, like, looking at the map and I was just thinking, I want to be on the bike right now somewhere in Greece. It's just a country that has so much to offer for riding and for, you know, like, a cool in our experiences and people are so amazing and just wherever you go it's so different than the other place you know i've been to greece like a few times before and it was always in different island and it's just every island is different than it's just different like there's no this time you actually got to experience mainland greece yeah and right now like i was in the mountains and it was so beautiful i wouldn't expect that from greece honestly i just i mostly was always thinking about greece that it's island beach and it's just beautiful yeah beautiful beaches pretty much what was your favorite part of greece oh my god that's so difficult question to answer no I, I honestly don't have any favorite because every place like it's very honest opinion right now that i'm saying that every single place i went i went to it was just amazing pretty much there was no place i went and it was disappointing i love the peloponnes and i love the northern parts of uh, Zagokoria. is that how you say that that is so amazing. That's my favorite part, actually, that section of Greece. I love that area so much. Yeah, and then this, uh, this Panakopita there <laughs> was the best. I think it's apparently, I think that area actually is famous for those spinach pies. Yeah, they're good too. And I think a lot of them end up putting in uh, horta inside the spinach pies. And horta is what is it? Horta is a like it's a like a weed. There are different types, ah. but it's generally weeds, kind of like spinach. But they add this into the spinach pies. Ah, okay. And I also really like Athens because when I was staying with you, it was uh, I saw much more of like local side of Athens wherever we went because I've been to Athens before with my mom for like uh, three days, I think, and I just went to see Acropolis and you know the old part of town, which was cool, but it was very different perspective than I had it now. And of course, Monovasia, that was so amazing. That's where you went because you had taken off for a couple of days after you came and you went 
two or three days. I don't remember how long. And you headed over to Monavasia. Yeah. So when all the restrictions get lifted, what is the plan? I know you said east, but east where? Um, so that is also not pretty much like planned in details because there are two different options to go, like either with either southern part of Asia or northern. So I haven't really decided yet if it's going to be to take in like more of Siberia or just take the route from Turkey to Iran and then Pakistan. Yeah, but it's the eastern side of the world, so it's going to be Asia pretty much. I'm not sure exactly what will be the way from once I've been Turkey, but after that, yeah. Do you have any countries that you absolutely want to see? Like even if you decide to go a little more north or a little more south, there's one or two countries that are that are on your bucket list of places so i want to see like a pakistan for sure on the bike the thing is like asia is already known to me because i've been in most of the countries on that side not on the bike but i've been there like backpacking traveling backpacking and so it's hard really to say what is what i want to see right now but like from what i haven't seen it's for sure pakistan and i really am looking forward to travel through turkey because i just was watching today some videos and then it looks like turkey is a really cool place to be on a bike it's beautiful for sure i don't know about traveling on it by bike but turkey is a, a gorgeous country what would you say is the biggest difference because you've traveled both by backpack and as a tourist to places and you've actually traveled quite a lot quite extensively what is the biggest difference you've seen from traveling by bike as opposed to other forms of travel? Mm, I think for sure it's the freedom, of course, because you can just, you know, sit on the bike and go wherever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. You don't have to wait for the bus, you don't have to wait for the train, you don't have to deal with any people. If you want to be by yourself, then you will be by yourself. And you know how is it in the bike when you just actually, you feel everything around. That it's never the same to be in the car. When you're in the car, you don't experience. You see same things, but you don't, like you don't feel like you're touching them and when you're on the bike I always feel like like I can feel it you're present and aware for everything yeah yeah exactly so yeah I think the freedom is the, the biggest difference for sure because you know whenever you go even if you go to some small town and let's say you want to stay somewhere but you cannot find a hotel then you just say okay I will go to I will ride to another small town and you will find it or you can ride somewhere and you just can set your set up your tent and just sleep in the tent whereas when you backpacking and you take a bus from one place to another one then you just kind of stuck in that place unless you take another bus but then you can be stuck because for example there's no other buses and then yeah well and i would say the other thing is you also end up seeing a lot of places that you wouldn't otherwise yeah because when you go by plane somewhere you tend to go right into a city and you don't see everything that's outside of it yeah that's for sure yeah that's awesome now that you've been traveling for a while do you have a preference whether it's hotels or hostels or camping um no i'm pretty much like after the whole day of riding i like to stay in my own peace i like to have my own room so i rarely stay in the hostess with like six people in a room or something like that i'm also like sensitive for the noise and the lights so i cannot sleep in those conditions and i see like you know 
as I'm getting older, like, because when I was like, let's say five years ago, I wouldn't mind. Like I would stay in the hostels, whatever, meet new people. And right now I'm like, I prefer to be just by myself. Or sometimes maybe if I was alone for the whole time, maybe I would be more like looking for a company, but I was with other people with me. So we kind of enjoyed our, yeah. But definitely like many people in one room, it's not a thing for me, but I like hostels. Like when I think, okay, we'll stay in my own room and then I can meet people and you know talk that's that's a that's a good part of it do you enjoy the camping I love camping honestly but I didn't have many chances actually to come in the street I come like just once in Egypt and then like in Sudan twice in Ethiopia it's not possible to come because there's too many people Mm -hmm. and then I uh, come in Kenya once and then uh, Zanzibar and that's all so like I don't know it was total maybe like five times of a camping but it, I like camping if it's like in nice surroundings so you can do it on a beach or in some place where it's beautiful around and I enjoy that but yeah most of the times we actually were staying in the hotels guests uh, houses places like that it's if, mm-hmm. if I'm allowed to ask what was your daily budget for this? Um, trip? So I didn't really have any daily budget. It wasn't, you know, sometimes it depends what the what country you are in. And it's, I like to travel in the way where, for example, today I will stay in the cheapest place, like the most shitty place to save the money. But like tomorrow I will stay in a little bit better, just to feel better. But in general, I really, it's a really hard question because I didn't even count how much it cost me everything. But it's not, really you know the most expenses are pretty much a gas and visas so right. yeah so you pay the most it's like a, a gas visas and then the food is cheap you know you eat twice a day basically most of the yeah most of the places cheap the food is uh, cheap then then you have a beer and the hotels are also cheap we never stayed in any expensive places which is always trying to find something that is clean but it's not expensive and for that we usually use i overland app which it's really helpful in africa especially in the places where there's not many places where you will find a hotel on a booking.com so i overlander is very helpful app you don't see pictures of the place but people will tell you like okay this is it has hot water it has it has european toilet and uh, clean bed sheets and that's all you need honestly <laughs> the important things, right? Clean bed sheets, hot water, European toilet, and your sets. Okay, so in the five months or six months, is there one moment that sticks out to you as like being either the best or worst experience that you had on the whole trip? Oh, I had an accident, actually. Wait, what? Yeah. Um, yeah, that is probably the worst, um, the worst moment that I remember of the whole trip. What happened? Um, yeah, so I was in Ethiopia and I was just riding somewhere on the curvy roads in the mountains. And then, uh, generally speaking, there's many good roads, but some of them, they will have some potholes. So I was riding and then suddenly I saw this pothole that was like in the middle of the road, let's say. No, sorry, it was actually on my side of the road. And I was riding, I saw this pothole and I wanted to avoid it. So I went a little bit more towards the middle of the road. So I like I wanted to just avoid the pothole, but I still wasn't in the middle of the road. I was still on my side, but more like on the left side of my side. And then there was this mini bus coming very fast from the other side. And he was doing the same thing. He was also avoiding his pothole on his side. So we ended up crushing each other. And I guess 
I was just writing, I saw he's coming and I knew that it's unavoidable right now and that it will happen. So I just tried to slow down and prepare myself that I'm just hitting a bus right now and that it is an accident happening. So he hit me pretty much on my left pannier and then my bike just went just slide into the bushes and I just slide over it. Oh. Yeah. But it was pretty slow already because I knew that it's going to happen. And yeah, nothing really happened to me. Fortunately, I wore my gear. So I just had some pain a little bit in the back and <laughs> like a big bruise in my butt. Ooh. And that's that's all. But his car, he's this, this, this van. It was pretty smashed. Like his whole tire was smashed. I don't know even how it happened. Maybe hit the pothole as well? Uh, you know, it was because of the crash with me. His car was in much worse condition than my bike. Was, did anything happen to the bike? Yeah, so there was the hole in the cylinder head, and so the oil was weak leaking, and then my steering was not straight, so that had to be straightened. It's still not straight properly right now, and there was just some fracture in the tank cover okay and my headlight protector was also broken and that's pretty much all so we had to um, there was another car came and they just told no not told like just they just put my bike on another another car and they took us to some mechanic and pretty much this cover head was fixed with epoxylin so it was fine shit but actually in the end you were able to keep going after you made the repairs to the cylinder head right yeah 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 definitely yeah yeah and that and that really it was fine like it was just fixed but then like i went back home and i i brought the new one for later and i just changed that one what the new one what cylinder head uh yeah yeah okay but you were lucky that it didn't end your whole trip oh yes definitely did you have the same experience in ethiopia that let's say Dan or Tim had? Because Dan was telling me how horrible his trip was. That's what he was saying on the last podcast, just going to that country. And I'm just wondering if you had even remotely the same experience. Yeah, so you know, like when I met guys in um, Egypt, they told me like you see in Ethiopia, like they pretty much already prepared me for what I'm going to experience there. And I say that Ethiopia was probably the, the most difficult country for me to travel in, but it wasn't really because of the kids throwing the stones because I didn't experience that. So I know that this happened, that it, it happens often. But I personally had this situation maybe once and also once some guy, like adult man, actually splashed water from the bottle on me. I don't know why. I was just riding, he just splashed it from the bottle, just on my face, on my helmet. Yeah. That was one situation and the other one, yeah, with the stones that uh, just hit my bike, that's all. So yeah, the stone throwing and spitting, I didn't really experience that. But I must say, it, the difficult part of traveling there was because there are people everywhere and wherever you stop there will be like 10 people coming around you at least 10 and just staring at you and just looking at you what are you doing and asking for money sometimes sometimes just looking so every single stop either you want to go pee or you want to drink some water you just must know that okay if you stop and you want to go pee you have like 10 seconds before someone appears next to you and just look at you so yeah that was something i never experienced before did you ever and in any country did you ever have any concerns about leaving your bike anywhere uh no no not at all okay and nothing ever went missing off your bike either in your 
No, I felt pretty safe there. It's just people are curious. So you see these people around you because they never seen a bike like this. or So they just come and check it and they just look and talk to you and just be super interested. But it's nothing like they are not aggressive and they won't hurt you and they won't steal anything from you. I don't think, I don't believe. So you weren't afraid at all during any part of this trip? Afraid for the safety? No, I don't think so. Not really. Always the most afraid in South Africa, but it's, I know that it's, it's not safe there. But otherwise, in any other country, it was super safe. It was just, I say, like in Ethiopia, it was annoying or not even annoying, just tiring. People are curious and then, and it's fine. It's just, you know, some people are more sensitive for that. And sometimes when you ride for six hours and you just want to rest, you just want to take off your clothes, your jacket, your hammer, and you just want to drink water and like just rest. And then you have these people around you talking to you and just, just be there. And I think it's, it's something that we don't experience where we live right now, like where I, where I come from, for example. So it was a new thing. Right. Well, mo- you know, motorbikes are fairly common where you live, where you're from. Yeah. They're fairly common all throughout Europe to see them. I think I've only been to one country where there weren't that many riders on the road. And right now I don't even remember which one that was. Uh, yeah. I guess seeing somebody, yeah, they get a lot of travelers, but yeah, it's just, it's a little out of everyday life, out of the normalities of everyday life. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, you know, it's a different culture. So, you know, I understand that, but sometimes just it can make you tired. That's it. I hate to ask this question because it kind of makes it sound like there should be additional problems when there aren't. But as a woman on a bike doing this trip, do you think you had any additional challenges that a guy guy wouldn't have? I don't think so, honestly. So it's also hard to say to me because most of the time I stand with people on the road. So I cannot really answer this question because I don't know how it would be if I was really alone. But I never felt like I spent a few days alone in Kenya where I took a two weeks break and I flew back to Poland and my friends went to Uganda and to Rwanda and then I flew back to Kenya and we wanted to meet each other in Tanzania. So I was alone for like five days before I met them. But you know, people are helpful everywhere you see helpful people. Like I never thought that I'm in a dangerous situation or something like that. Honestly, the most situations where I felt like I was super annoyed, but in general, it doesn't matter if I was alone or with friends. It was always on the border crossing that you see people that just want to make some money on you. They sell you the SIM cards, the price is 500 percent more than normally and then they would try to sell you some fake insurance that you don't need and it's always super sad because those people are always super friendly yeah and they tell you like okay now you have to go to there and there and you take your carnet and with these documents you go to this guy and they look like they want to help you but the truth is just they're waiting to learn from you and but that has nothing to do with what gender you are okay so that's actually the answer that i wanted because the ratio of men to women riders is huge and i can imagine that for a woman traveling by herself there are additional concerns so to hear that you've actually done this on a big bike going through two continents. I never felt like that. And also actually I was then alone when I drove from Mozambique to Cape Town because my friends stay a little bit longer in Mozambique. And also I was traveling by myself and in South Africa super, I mean, of course it's 
you have to be careful there, more careful than the other countries. But I never thought like something can actually happen to me. People are super friendly. Perfect. And I never felt like, oh, I'm a girl on the bike, so someone wants to try to use me or something like that. No, no, not really. That's exactly the answer that I wanted. So if you know somebody who has never taken a trip by bike before, they ride, but they haven't traveled this way. And they were asking you what your advice is for how you prepare yourself for such a trip. What would be like the top three pieces of advice you would give them or even the, the, the one piece of advice that you would give somebody who wanted to take off on a trip like this? No, so first thing is like, it's always scary, much more scary before you actually start a trip. Because I also had that when I was in Poland, when I was at home preparing myself and I was just scared that I have to leave, that I, I will be in unknown places, uh, in unknown, uncertain situations. And I didn't know what would happen. And you always hear around that you're a longer, it's like something super dangerous to do. Something will happen to you, somebody will use you or whatever. No, if, if you like smart enough, like the way you live your life, you will understand when which way you should not go and what you know like what can happen i mean you can feel it i think yeah trust your um yeah and it's most of the people you meet it's really nice people most of the people whenever i was alone 90 percent of people it was always friendly people helpful people i never felt that like something could happen to me but i know that things happen of course okay i will actually say that that is the one advantage to being a girl because when banayeti and i were doing the balkans together we would go to different checkpoints at each border crossing just to you know to speed things up i would always have people be really friendly to me yeah once they that I was a girl on a bike like the the look of that they were impressed or whatever they'd be really welcoming to me and they'd be yelling at him that was what we did but they would be to him and wonderful to me yeah that's for sure one of to being a girl on a bike is that everyone was always really friendly towards me and to him maybe not so much yeah we had that situation and when we were crossing the border from egypt to sudan and like apparently like what everybody says uh, that when you're leaving egypt you need to have this fixer guy who will go with all the documents to border because it's not like you go just to get a stamp on the passport you have to get your documents with the bike and some other things that i don't even understand because uh, i don't understand arabic and then it's just a pain in the ass like to do this also usually people pay this 50 dollars per person for this fixer guy who will do it for you and you just wait and it takes like two hours and then you can go but you know i met with my friends just before crossing the borders and we decided okay you know what like let's save this 50 dollars per person and try to do it by ourselves and i was like no but come on everybody do this with the fixer you need the fixer and aga was like no i don't care let's try by ourselves if we don't do this then we will get a fixer but otherwise like let's try to do it by ourselves and yeah okay so okay let's do that so we started this whole process me arthur the guy was just waiting with the bikes and me and aga were just running around with the papers and then actually like we just did it like it took us i don't remember like four hours or less than that but yeah it was just going from one room from another room to another window and it was just like a circle of i don't know how many times we just ran be between the rooms but uh, everybody were super friendly and i think it was like also you know we just come here like oh this is this room and just be nice and smile and the guys were like you know also more friendly and it worked well for us 
So did you do it again the next time or did you use a fixer at the next border crossing? No, so it's only like this Egypt-Sudan border crossing where you, you, they say like it's obligatory, the fixer, because otherwise you won't leave the country because you don't understand any papers. And we didn't understand any of the papers because everything is in the, in the Arabic. So it's just you sign something, they sign something, they tell you take this and go there, pay this and there. And it's just uh, super confusing. But then like uh, there was after crossing the Egypt and there was Egypt part and then we get to the gate where it was Sudan. And there it's like nobody even will talk to you. They won't even open the gate until the fixer comes. So on that side, it's just, and they don't speak any English there. So there was like a mandatory to really have the fixer because you would not get into the country without him. But I didn't understand like, why do we need a fixer to leave the country? I just want to leave the country. I want to go. But they will be like, no, you have to have the guy that will help you do that. And you have to pay the guy. <laughs> So, which is ridiculous, you know? So yeah, we got the fixer for Sudan, and which was fine. But yeah, on the Egypt side, we just did it by ourselves. Did you have any problems crossing any other borders or was everything pretty easy after that? No. Oh, Ethiopia, yeah, that's another story. But you know, it's Africa because we were in Sudan and crossings uh, the borders Sudan-Ethiopia. I know that uh, from Ayobranander up that they close the border from 12 to 3 o'clock. So it's like a lunch break. So that you need to be in the border before 12 o'clock. So we stayed like two hours from the border. So in the morning we ate breakfast, we get on bikes and then just head to the borders. Because we wanted to really be before 12 o'clock because after crossing the border, we would still have three hours to ride to get to the town that was our destination for the day. So we started riding in the morning and then we got to the border and actually we got to the border and it was like 11.45, something like this, that we were on the Sudanese part talking to the guys. They got us the stamps. Sorry, so that was a little bit maybe earlier, maybe after 11, something like that. We got the stamps that we leave the country and then Ethiopian part. And we are in the room with the Ethiopian guys with the passports. They stamp our passports. It was 11.50. And they talked to us being super friendly, like uh, talking about Ethiopian beer and stuff like that and just being super nice. And we spent there actually more time because of this friendly conversations. And finally, they just stamp our passports and then I see at my phone that it's like 12.07 and they tell me okay so now we're done here so now you have to go to that other room in that building and they will take care of your carnet so like you know basically the vehicle uh, documents and they will take care of it there but you know what they have a break from 12 to 3 and I just look at him and I say what do you mean like I don't know let's see let's I will take you there but I'm not sure if uh, they will be there so he, he took us there and there was nobody there. So they already had a lunch break. And that was like 10 past 12. <laughs> and I was like, it's very rarely for me to lose my patience. But at that moment, I said, can you please call to that guy? Maybe he can come back because it's just 10 minutes. Right. Because I didn't actually know that we have another part to do once I was with these guys with the passports. And they didn't tell us, like, they could tell us, you know, let's rush with this because they were go for lunch breaks and you still have to do the bike papers so maybe let's rush so you can still do that nobody told us that so nobody warned you that by sitting around having a conversation you were going to end up spending three hours waiting for everybody to return from lunch yes exactly and i went like mad i was I'm a little bit ashamed of that, but I was really not unpolite to them. And um, 
the guy called the other guy and asked him to come back, but he was like, no, because he's already on the lunch break, so he didn't want to come back. It was, of course, super hot. We didn't have any water, we didn't have any food. Yeah, of course, okay, you can wait three hours, it's a big deal. But I was so mad because we drove from early morning to get there, to be before 12, to do it before the lunch break. And at the end of the day, like we still didn't do that, which means that we won't make it to another town where we wanted to stay overnight because it will be already dark. So we would have to find another place to stay just behind the border. Yeah, it doesn't really sound like really hectic right now, but it was very hectic. When I was there, I was just so angry. Like, I, I don't remember when I was so angry in my life. Like, I was there. And then this other guy coming to us and saying, you want to buy the SIM card? And I say, yes, I want, because I need the internet, of course. So he brought me the SIM card and charged me, of course, five, five times more than I would pay in any other place, just like in, already in Ethiopia after the border. I just was there and I just felt like everybody's just trying to get my money. And then they asked us if we want to uh, exchange any dollars. So we said like, yeah. And they, they gave her like super shitty rate. So I said like, I'm done. I just want to leave. I just, I don't want to be any, I don't want to be here anymore. And then, um, and yeah. So that was, that was my frustrating cross, border crossing. And they just told me, like, you must learn. It's Africa. You must learn that. The guys on the border told me, like, you must learn that you have to wait. You have to wait. You have to wait. And I'm, okay. Yeah, but they're not the ones waiting three hours in a suit and having to carry around a helmet without food, without water, being... Yeah. It's one thing on top of the other. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, like, I know, yeah. I know, like, okay, of course, you can wait this three hours. Like, right now, I think three hours is much, of course. But if you have something planned, because I actually planned that after crossing the border, we will go to this town and we will stay in this and this place. And once that collapsed, then I, I just got angry about it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'd be angry about that, too. <laughs> yeah. I have one last question for you. And that is, now that you've done this, can you see yourself going back to normal everyday life? Or do you think that this is how you want to proceed for the next few years? No, so the thing is that... Um... You know, I was traveling before I started traveling on the bike. So um, this is pretty much my lifestyle for the last six years, let's say. So I think that this is a new thing for me to travel on the bike. And of course, I want to keep on doing that. But I think also I'm, as, as I'm getting older, I'm more like, I also want to be ready to do something in one place. So yeah, I enjoy this right now, but it's nothing really new for me. Okay. And it's more like I'm getting to the point where Maybe at some point I will be tired of it. But yeah, like the same thing. Like I just sit here right now and talking to you. And then I think like, I want to be on my bike somewhere in Greece or whatever. So uh, the plan is there is it's whatever you're in the mood for. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think so. But it's not like I'm stuck in that. I think. Well, I think that's the best way to be. Yeah. We'll see. As long as you're having fun, you'll keep going. Right. Yeah. Correct. Perfect. Well, <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for coming on. I have had a wonderful time with you, besides the fact that I got to catch up with you and it's been a couple of <laughs> Well, thank you for inviting me for this. That was... You have been wonderful. <laughs> sure. But also, I miss you. 
just adding that out for whoever wants to hear it. I really look forward. To <laughs> yeah, I miss you too. I just like look at you and I see this background of your kitchen. And I say like, oh, I wish I actually was sitting in that couch and talking to you like live, not on the phone. Anyway, it has been great having you on. Hopefully the next time, because I do want to have you back at some point. You know, <laughs> I started traveling. Hopefully the next time we'll be able to do this from my couch. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. Well, I wish you all the very best in your future travels. I hope you have an amazing time where you are now. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. Make sure to leave a like or a comment if you enjoyed the episode or subscribe to the channel if you want to be informed of the next time one is released. Until then, take care of yourselves. And if you want to know more information about Natalia, I will make sure to include links for her social media in the description below. Be safe, everyone. Bye.